0: Before we pray, we did want to talk for a moment about what happened last Sunday in Sutherland Springs. Our hearts are grieving for a church and a community that was ripped apart by violence. I want to pray for them in a moment. Before that, I do want to let you know that we take safety and security very seriously here at Grace Bible Church, our our leaders, our elders, our staff have worked very hard to put together security plans for us here at Southwood, and, and we review those plans on a regular basis to, to take your safety as seriously as we can. But ultimately, we want to recognize that our safety is only in the hands of God at the end of the day. The good news is that we have hope, because we know the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We know that we have security in Jesus, and we can celebrate this morning that our brothers and sisters who were killed last week are not gone. They're now in the presence of the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. So they will live forever. We will see them again. But we know that this is a painful day for the friends and family who were left behind. And so if you'll join me, let's pray for healing and comfort for them. Heavenly Father, we lift up our brothers and sisters in Sutherland Springs. We lift up this church to you that was torn apart by violence. We thank you, Lord, that you are watching over every person in that town this morning, that you are with them, that your spirit is in them, that Jesus is Lord over this world and he cares about them. We pray, Lord, that that your love would be present to them, that they would experience it and sense it this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would heal these wounds, that you would lift up those who are downtrodden and brokenhearted. We pray, Lord, that through this tragedy, that somehow your spirit would move and bring many people to know Jesus and trust in him. We pray that there might be a, a, a moment of truth, of people seeing the hope that your people have in your son, and that that would draw them into your family. We pray, Heavenly Father, that for us, that we would, in a sense, worry less about our physical safety and, and think more about how we can introduce the people of this town to your son, Jesus Christ, to the hope and security that he freely offers to them. We pray, Lord, that now as we enter your word again, that your spirit would work powerfully in us, that, that he would indeed fill us and challenge us and convict us and transform us today. And particularly as we look at this challenging passage on marriage, on, on husbands and wives, we pray, Lord, that you would teach us and train us and change us so that our church might be full of marriages that please you and that show the world your infinite love. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. While you're turning there, I did want to mention you heard at the beginning of the service about our fellows program. Here at Grace, we really do take that very, very seriously. We believe it's one of the most important things that God is doing through our church. Actually, for me, the highlight of my work week is not today. It's all right to preach to you guys, but what I like most is Monday mornings when I meet with the fellows and teach them Bible and theology for two hours. I would love to have you consider that opportunity. If you've recently graduated and might uh, be able to fit a, a fellowship here at Grace into your life, please come right after this service, 1230 in the foyer. We'll have a free lunch and we'd love to tell you about that Fellows Program. Our directors of our Fellows Program will be there. So an incredible opportunity for you. That program is actually why I'm here. So I told you guys, I was an engineer, I never expected to do the church thing, but I left engineering to go get an MBA, there was a waiting period, and Brian said, hey, why don't you come give us a year at the church and learn more about ministry, so I came and I never left. So, that could be you. We'd love to have you come check out our fellows program today. Well, we're going to look at Ephesians 5 this morning, this passage about husbands and wives, and let's just be honest with one another, this is not a popular passage in our culture today, Paul is going to say, Wives, submit to your husbands, and that doesn't sound real good to modern ears. That was captured perfectly by one of my favorite shows, West Wing, in this little clip. It was a perfectly lovely homily on Ephesians five twenty one. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Yeah, she's skipping over the part that says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. I do skip over that part. Why? Because it's stupid. Okay. <laughs> That's exactly what our world thinks about this passage. Wives, submit to your husbands. That sounds stupid. That sounds backwards. I would argue that that's largely because we have not sufficiently explained exactly what God means in this challenging passage. We, we have not clarified what submission means. We have not shown biblically what it does mean, what it doesn't mean, so that people understand it clearly as God intended. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to unpack this passage for you and help you better understand what God is saying about marriage and about husbands and wives. So the first and most important thing, if you want to understand this passage accurately, you must begin in the right place. And this is why I am quite upset with whoever formatted my Bible because they hit a return after verse 21 and started a new paragraph and even put a new title there. Guess what? That's wrong. In Greek, it is one sentence. This is not a new paragraph. It's not a new sentence. In fact, verse 22 is grammatically dependent on verse 21. That's where the passage starts. So read verse 21 and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And so the first step to getting marriage right is to recognize the higher calling. We are all called to be subject to one another. To be subject, that means to submit. It's the same word in Greek. We are all called to be in submission to one another. Now what does that mean, to be subject or to submit? It means to sacrifice your rights and desires to serve someone else. That's the essence of it. And and this command from Paul that comes before anything about marriage, it's for everyone in the room, husbands, wives, kids, singles, widows, widowers, all of us are called to sacrifice our rights and desires for the good of the other. So in a sense, you could say it is accurate to say husbands and wives are to submit to each other as we all mutually submit to one another. That's actually a point that Paul drives home in the most significant passage on marriage anywhere in the Bible. So if you're dating or engaged, you might want to write this one down. Most important passage anywhere in the Bible on marriage, Philippians chapter 2 says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, you may have noticed there's nothing in there about marriage. No mention of husbands or wives or even men or women. So why is this the most important passage about marriage? Because that is how you build a healthy marriage. This is actually the passage I always present whenever i do a wedding so if you have me do your wedding this is going to be it this is it because this is the most important thing in the bible to husbands and wives for how you build a godly marriage what do you need to do you need to follow the example of jesus who humbled himself sacrificed himself to the to the point of death that's what you need to do for your spouse you need to regard your spouse as more important than yourself Hold up his or her needs and desires above your own and your marriage will thrive. And so before we get to the particular roles of husbands and wives in marriage, let's recognize step number one, the most important step, submit ourselves to one another. We sacrifice our rights, our desires, our comforts, our ambitions to serve the other. That's how you build a strong and lasting marriage. But how does this mutual submission work itself out in marriage? What exactly does it look like for the wife to practice this and for the husband to practice this? That's what Paul talks about in the bulk of our passage. He gets into the details of what it looks like for a wife and for a husband as God designed it. And so let's jump in. Let's look at, at Paul's instructions to wives. Wives, as, as you practice mutual submission, what does it look like for you? Pick it up in verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. So to wives, Paul says, submit yourself to your husbands. Now, obvious question, why does Paul need to say that? If in verse 21, he just said, all of us subject ourselves to one another, why say it again to the wives? Well, Because Paul has a a little different aspect of submission in mind when he's thinking about wives in marriage, and he makes that clear at the end of the passage. What in particular does it mean for a wife to submit within marriage? Verse 33, nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Respect. That may actually be a better word to use here because submission has such negative baggage in our society. Paul is challenging wives to respect their husbands as the head of the home. Now, what does it mean for the husband to be the head of the home? Well, we're given a comparison. The husband is the head of the home, as Christ is the head of the church. And in this passage, head means to have authority. And so Paul is saying that the the husband has been placed in the home by God as the one who has ultimate authority, who sets the ultimate direction for the family. Now before we go any further, we need to acknowledge that there are many godly Christians and godly churches that believe that this passage is no longer in effect. They hold to a position called egalitarianism, which teaches that submission in the home and the headship of the husband was only for a culture where women were not educated and not empowered. But now that women are educated and empowered, we should set this aside. Now, we don't agree with that position, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But before I do, let's be clear. This is not an essential in the Christian faith. This issue is not like the deity of Christ or the truth of the gospel. This is a secondary issue. And so it's okay for Christians to disagree about how to interpret this passage. Here at Grace, we interpret this passage to a position called complementarianism. Which teaches that God designed men and women, when we come together in marriage, for the husband and the wife to each have a unique and distinct role. And and those roles go all the way back to the beginning, to the Garden of Eden. You see it in Genesis chapter 2. God appointed Adam to be the head. How do we know that? Because Adam was created first. And then Eve. And when God brought Eve to Adam, God had Adam name her. And naming something in the Bible means you have authority in that relationship. And then here's the primary way that you know God designed the husband to be the head of the home. When Adam and Eve blow it in Genesis chapter 3, who does God hold primarily responsible? Adam. Because he appointed the husband to be the head of the home. To direct the home, And so at Grace Bible Church, we believe God appointed husbands to be the head of the home and appointed wives to submit, meaning to respect their husbands as the head of the home. So we believe that's timeless. It's, it's true in all cultures and in all ages. However, for us to really understand what Paul is getting at when he talks about wives submitting, we've got to really clarify what submission does not mean. Because this word has been abused and misapplied for millennia. Okay, so let me walk you through what the Bible is not saying when it says wives submit to your husbands first. This is not saying anything about God valuing men over women. That's not what submission is about. It's not because the husband is more valuable or better in the eyes of God than the wife. How do I know that? Because Genesis 2 comes after Genesis 1. What does it say about men and women in Genesis chapter 1? Well, it says nothing about these roles in marriage, nothing about submission. It says, God said, let us make humanity in our image male and female. He created them in his image and likeness. Equality comes first. Roles come second. So in the eyes of God, women are equal to men in every way, equally image bearers, co-heirs of grace, co-heirs of the kingdom to come. They are our equals in every way. Okay, so submission is not God valuing men over women. Second, submission is not because men are more capable or more intelligent or better leaders than women. I hate when I hear anyone say that idea. It's nothing about capability. How do I know? Because of Jesus. Jesus is submitted, has submitted himself to God the Father. Why? Because he's not as good of a leader? Because he's not as knowledgeable or wise or powerful? No. He is fully God. His submission has nothing to do with capability. Jesus' submission is his own free choice. He simply decided, I will submit myself to the Father, not because he's better, but because I freely choose. So it is with the wife to her husband. It has nothing to do with abilities. Third. Submission is not all women to all men. That should go without saying. This is in the marriage relationship. That's all this passage is looking at. It's not looking about women in general to men in general. So this passage is saying nothing about women in the boardroom or holding political office. should never be used that way. God actually loves strong women in his family doing big things out in the world, leading out in the world. That's good and godly. This is only about the family. Fourth, submission of the wife to the husband is not absolute obedience. So wives, you got to remember, your submission to your husband is always secondary to your submission to God. Submission to God always comes first. You never follow your husband into sin or foolishness. So married women, if your husband tries to lead you or your family into, uh, into sin or into foolishness, you say no to that. And if he keeps pushing, you call for help. And if you have to, you put the kids in the car and you leave. You don't follow your husband into that sin. When you look at the Bible for biblical examples, what God wants you to do is to be an Abigail, not a Sapphira. So Sapphira was married to a man named Ananias. And in Acts chapter 5, each of them goes before the leaders of the church and lies. So the husband does it first. He lies and God strikes him dead on the spot. Later, his wife shows up and follows her husband into that sin and God kills her on the spot. Why? Because submission to your husband does not come first. First is submission to God. Be like Abigail in the Old Testament. She was married to an incredibly foolish man named Nabal. He brought his whole family into danger through his stupidity. So what does she do? She rebels against him, goes behind his back, and rescues her family. That's good and godly. So submission doesn't ever mean following your husband into sin or foolishness. And related, it doesn't ever mean putting up with abuse or violence. There's a lot about that in the news right now. Sexual abuse being perpetrated by men in power. That happens outside of marriage a lot. It also happens inside marriage sometimes. And if that ever happens in your home, you are not called by God to submit to that. If your husband is physically or emotionally abusive to you, you get help, you call 911, you get the kids in the car, and you leave. You are not called to submit yourself to any of that. Okay, finally... When we think about submission, this is not the husband's choice. It's really important, guys, that we recognize these verses were not to us. Paul did not say, husbands, make your wives submit. So, husbands, if you are having a debate with your wife and you two are disagreeing, you are never allowed to pull the submission card out. You lay the submission card, the God said you better submit to me card on the table, and I guarantee you, you are wrong. (laughs) Because that is not your choice. This is the wife's free choice. Your wife's submission to you is between her and God alone. And so if your wife is not submitting to you, what can you do? Only thing you can do is pray. You cannot force it. Pray for her. Pray that God would soften your heart. And while you're praying, why don't you pray for yourself to become a better husband so that it's easier for her to submit? Okay? That's the only option we guys have. So, now that we're clear on what submission is not, let's talk practical. Ladies, how exactly can you respect your husband? How can you practice this submission in your marriage? I've got three steps for you. The first is to pray for him. And I think that's most important. Wives, the first and most important thing you can do for your husband as you respect him as a head of your home is pray for him. Pray that God would protect him from temptation. Pray that God would help him to be wise. Pray that God would grow his love for Jesus and his obedience. Pray that God would make him the, the head of the home that you desire him to be. Pray every day for your husband, and, and if you find it challenging to think about what exactly can I pray for my husband, here's a great book for you. It's one of my wife's favorites. She said it's really helpful because it's got all of these short chapters, and each one is dedicated to, to some particular thing you're praying for your husband on that day. So The Power of a Praying Wife by Stormy O'Martin, great book for you to pick up. Second step for wives to respect your husbands, give him the opportunity to lead. So here's the deal that I've seen in my marriage. I've, I've come to realize that Julie is a lot better than me at many things. And that list has grown now that we've had kids. So Julie is the better multitasker. She's much better in social settings. She's much better at understanding what our kids are thinking or feeling. She's much better at managing the family schedule. She's much better at figuring out what's going to happen in the future that we need to be thinking about for our family. She just has a much better intuitive grasp of what's going on in our family life. And so because Julie is so capable, it would be possible for her to lead everything in our family and leave no room for me. She could totally do that. And so what has she done? Well, out of grace, she has stepped aside and let me lead in some areas, even though she's just as capable as me or maybe more capable. Now, she hasn't done that in every area, and I don't want her to. I would be a fool not to entrust leadership to many areas to my wife where she's just so much clearly better than me. But in some areas, she's she's stepped back and given me space to lead. And And here's what I've seen in many marriages where you have a really capable wife. Sometimes she's so good at managing things for the family that she just steps in and and leads everything so quickly and so capably that the husband just switches into passive mode and steps back. If that describes your marriage, wives, I would encourage you, think about places in your marriage where you could let your husband lead. Pray that God would help you to see where you can give him space. Again, it doesn't mean surrendering everything to him. It it just means opening the doors, letting him participate and be the head of the home that God has called him to be. And and if you're going to do that, you're going to have to ultimately talk about it with him. So wives, if you're thinking about the dynamic in your marriage and you're seeing that your husband just really isn't stepping up yet, ask him about that. Are there ways that I could could give you more space to lead? Do you feel encouraged by me to lead? Do you feel like I'm giving you opportunities to be the head of our home? Have that conversation. Give him opportunity to lead. And then third, final step for you ladies, practical step, encourage his efforts. Women, I'm just going to ask you to take this on faith. If you're married or if you're going to get married, you need to recognize your words have more power in your husband's heart than anyone's words on earth. You have supernatural power in your larynx when you speak to your husband. It does more than anyone else on earth to either lift him up or crush him. Your words have incredible power, and they're, they're a gift that God has given you, a powerful gift to bless your husband. When you speak words of encouragement, you lift him high. You support him. You give him the power and the energy that he needs to fulfill God's mission for his life. And and that's actually how God designed it. If we go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 2, when God created Eve, he called her a helper to Adam. And we hear that word and it sounds weak to us. That's wrong. In Hebrew, it's not weak. It's the Hebrew word "azer," and it's usually used in the Bible, almost always, of someone stronger coming to the aid of someone weaker. It's usually used of God coming to the aid of Israel when Israel was weak and downtrodden. That's what God designed you to be, ladies. An incredible strength, a, a source of supernatural power in your husband's life. When he is weak, when he is weary, when he is downtrodden, you can speak truth and encouragement to him that will lift him up like nothing else on earth. And I'm telling you, this is the truth. All of you here today, at the end of a sermon, many of you will say nice things, and that's nice. Thank you for that. But really, it doesn't matter to me because at some point I'm going to talk to Julie, and hopefully, if it's been a good day, she's. She's going to look me in the eyes and she's going to smile and she's going to say, that was great. And in that moment, all of you are invisible to me. I don't see you. I don't care about you. All I care about is the incredible words my wife just said. They have such infinite power in my life. Wise, your words have such power. And so, my encouragement to you ladies is to set a goal for yourself that on any particular day, if you were to take all the words you speak to your husband, more of them would be of encouragement than critique. Okay, now, there's going to be times to, to say things of critique, but don't let them tip the scale. Let the scale always, every day, be tipped on the side of encouragement. Now that does bring up a practical question. What if your husband isn't doing a lot to encourage? What if he's just not doing a great job? Then I would encourage you, ladies, pray that God would show you something in him you can celebrate because here's why. Even if there's just a little thing you can celebrate, your words of encouragement will cause that little good thing to grow. You can water the good in him. And as you find things to celebrate, find things to encourage instead of critiquing everything, the good in him will grow and he will become the man you want him to be. Your words of encouragement have supernatural power in the life of your husband. So, wives, you you are appointed by God to respect your husband as head of the home primarily by praying for him, giving him space to lead, and encouraging his efforts. Now, men, let's look at... Paul's instructions to us. It begins in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So Paul tells us husbands, we are to love our wives and before we say anything particular about that i just want you to observe the relative length of the instructions to wives versus the instructions to husbands 3 verses compared to 7 verses why well because in paul's day there was nothing radical about telling wives to submit they they already were it was a patriarchal society what was radical was what he says to husbands you got to understand, Paul lived in, in a Roman empire where the father was everything in the home. He was the boss. He called all the shots. And in that patriarchal world, the family existed to serve the needs of the father. It was all about him. And so what does Paul do in this passage? He turns the tables on their head. He turns it all around and says, no, the husband exists to serve the interests of the family. The Romans have got it exactly opposite. The husband is not here to be served by the family. The husband's reason for existing is to serve the needs of the family, especially his wife. He is here for her, to love her sacrificially. I think it is so crucial to recognize that Paul does not use the verb lead. He uses the verb love. I hear people get that mixed up so often. Wives are to submit. Husbands are to lead. No, 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 no. Wives are to submit. Husbands are to love. To love as Christ loves the church. What is love? It is not a feeling. It is not an emotion. True love is sacrifice. It's sacrificing self for the good of the other. So husbands are to sacrifice self for the good of the spouse to the same extent that Christ has sacrificed himself for us. So how did Christ sacrificially love us? Well, literally to the point of death. Jesus died out of love for us, even though we weren't worthy of that at all. It has nothing to do with worthiness. He sacrificed himself for us. So husbands, that's our model. So guys, file this away. When God says that you are the head of the home, do you want to know what that means? It means ultimately you're the first to die. That's what head of the home means. No joke. You're the first to die. That could be literal. You are called to lay down your life literally for your wife and kids, but probably more often it's going to be every day metaphorically you are dying to your rights, your desires, your comforts, and your ambition for the sake of your kids and your wife. Husbands, that's what we are called to do, to lay down our rights, desires, comforts, and ambition to serve our wife and kids We do that to help them thrive. That's God's call on our lives. We sacrifice ourselves to help our wives and our kids thrive. So let's pause for a moment. I want to talk to all of you single ladies out there who are either dating or hoping to date. How do you know if you found the right guy? Look at how he sacrificially serves, not you. Because he's infatuated with you. And even jerky guys will serve their lady when they're infatuated. Now, you look for how he sacrificially serves his parents, his siblings, his roommates, his classmates, his co-workers, the waiter who just brought you your food. He's not infatuated with them. So you can get a sense. Is this guy sacrificial? Is he putting the needs and desires of everyone around him above himself? If not, then ladies run. Run away. Why? Because infatuation never lasts. At some point, the infatuation will fade away and he will treat you like he's treating them. Find yourself a man who sacrificially serves all the people around him that he's not infatuated with. And then you found a good guy to be married to. Husbands, God's call on our lives is to be first to die. First to sacrifice in our home. Sacrifice our rights, desires, comforts, and ambitions. To care for, lift up, and serve our wives and kids. That's our job. And we have to recognize God will hold us accountable to that. We know that again from Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve both sinned, who did God hold primarily accountable? Men. Husbands. And so this whole idea of being head of the home, it is not an easy gig. It's not about calling the shots. It is an incredibly heavy responsibility. Men, you better recognize that. So, guys, how do we practically love our wives, sacrifice them? I'm going to give you three steps, just like I gave three steps to the ladies. Step number one, same. Pray for her. You lead in the home, first and foremost, by praying. Pray for your wife every day. Pray that God would protect her and bless her and keep her from sin. Pray that God would give her peace and joy and security pray for your wife, pray for your kids, pray both in private and in the whole family. You, you need to be the one leading the family in prayer. Not every time, but, but on a regular basis, your kids and your wife need to see you initiating prayer. Okay, So you lead first and foremost, most importantly, through prayer. Second, you lead by initiating. You, you love your wife and your kids by initiating. Okay, Now, There's a problem for us since about the late 1980s, there has been an incredibly common trope on TV in pretty much every sitcom of the incompetent uninvolved dad. So we have an incredible number of dads on TV who show us an example of being lazy, of coming home and sitting on the couch, of being completely unengaged from the family. We have Homer Simpson, who's been around forever as the model of incompetent dads. You have Raymond from Everybody Loves Raymond. No, I don't. I hate that show. Because it, it's built on the premise of, hey, it's laughable, it's funny when the dad is incompetent, uninvolved, and lets the wife lead at home. That's, that's funny on TV. That's tragic in real life. You realize that? When this stuff is actually present in the home, the wife and kids suffer. Why does the wife suffer? Because now she's got two jobs. She's got to fulfill both her role and the husband's role. That crushes her. Why do the kids suffer? Well, because what does God call himself in the Bible? Primary thing he calls himself? Father. So, how are the kids going to get to know what it looks like for God to be your father? By looking at their dad. And if their dad is always lazy, incompetent, uninvolved, watching TV on the couch, what's that going to teach the kids about God the Father? It's tragic when kids have only a bad dad to to develop a picture of their Heavenly Father. So dads, when we do not engage at home, we curse our wives and kids. We must engage. We must initiate. We must stay involved. So very practically, what does that look like? Well, for me, I work here at Southwood. I live seven miles south. When I leave the office, I get in my car. And for the first half of the trip home, I get to think about anything I want to. My mind can be whatever it's on, um, still be work, be whatever. Um, but I get to the halfway point, which for me is the intersection of Texas and Highway 6, where it merges on. I go under that light, and that's my trigger. Now it's time for me to pray and recognize I've got three hours of work left. My workday isn't over. I have three hours left, and they're the most important work hours I will spend today because it's now time for me to go home and be husband and dad. I don't get to rest for three hours. But now I need to go home, and I need to initiate and engage and participate with my wife and my kids. Dads, when you leave the office, your workday is not done. Your most important work is beginning. And so pray for God's help to see that and recognize that so that when you walk in that door at home, you are ready for work. You are fully engaged and loving and caring for your wife and kids. So we've got to initiate with our wives and our kids. We cannot choose passivity. Our wives and kids will suffer if we do. Third step for husbands, listen. You love your wife sacrificially by listening to her, by engaging with her, Peter tells us husbands, he challenges us, live with your wives in an understanding way. Well, what does that presuppose? That you understand your wives. Now, frankly, men, we're never going to fully understand them. That's okay. What Peter is challenging us to do is to engage in conversation with our wives every day, talking to them, getting to understand what do they think, what do they feel, what's going on with you, with the kids, with the house, with the with the family, with the neighborhood. Spend time listening with your, to your wife, asking her questions, talking to her. That's part of your role as a husband. And you'll be better for doing that. Frankly, guys, we would be fools not to listen to our wives. They often see things that we are completely oblivious to. In my household, we laugh at Julie having a sixth sense, like this women's intuition thing. It's no joke. Like, that's real. Like, she can perceive things that I have no idea are going on. And so I am better. I grow as I listen to her. Men, we can sacrificially love our wives by speaking with them, talking with them, asking them questions. Honey, how am I doing as a husband? How can I do better? How can I better engage with the kids? How can I be more involved with your parents? What can I do to love you more? So listen to your wives. Ask her questions and listen to what she says. Now here's the good news, guys. Three big steps. Those are hard to do. But if you will practice those steps on a daily basis, guess what? It will make it much easier for your wife to respect and follow you. Brian Fisher was doing a wedding a few years ago. And he preached from this passage, Ephesians 5, and at the end of the wedding, a little old lady came up who'd been married for a long time and told him, she's an atheist. She doesn't believe this book at all. But if her husband loved her like this passage said, she says, I I would joyfully follow him. People recognize, even if they're not Christians, if husbands will do this, it will be so much easier for their wives to respect and follow them. So guys, we are called to sacrificially love, to be the first to die in our families every day. Now that's hard. This instruction to both the husbands and the wives is incredibly hard. All of Ephesians 5 is really hard. And so Paul gives us motivation and a model to follow, and it's found in the one verse we left out, verse 32, the only verse we've skipped. It says, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. And what Paul wants you to understand is your motivation and your model, both husbands and wives, is Jesus, and it's the gospel. When you struggle in your role, wives, when you struggle to do what Paul's saying, husbands, when you struggle in your role to do what Paul's saying, the the same answer for both of you, you look to Jesus. You, You remember what Jesus did. You remember what he suffered for you, how how he gave up his rights, his desires, his ambition, his comfort, his own life for us when we weren't worthy. Sometimes we we struggle to apply this passage because we say, well, my husband or my wife is not worthy of it. They're not doing their part. Well, we weren't worthy either. We weren't doing our part when Jesus died in our place to give us eternal life as a free gift. And so when you struggle in your role, in your marriage, look to Jesus. Don't look to your spouse. Look to Jesus. Don't look to other marriages that seem to have it together better. Look to Jesus as your motivation and your model. Follow him. I want to leave you with a couple practical resources. What exactly can you do to grow your marriage? First, I want to show you a quick video of a a ministry here at Grace Bible Church. We have for married couples or those who are about to get married. Marriage is not about making us happy. Mm-hmm. It's about making us holy. The classes were really good. We got to learn a lot from the married couples, but it also gave us a lot to talk about outside of the classes. You know, when we first when I first approached David about going to it, you know, I was almost embarrassed to say, "Well, I want to go to this marriage course because then you're admitting that, uh-oh, we don't have a perfect marriage. Isolation is is uh, a setup for destruction. And one of the biggest reasons that young marriages fail is they, they find themselves isolated. They lose their friends from their kind of singlehood. And they embark on this new life and they have no community and then they fail. And so the foundation class really establishes community strongly and in a healthy manner. And that sets up marriages to last. It really helped open conversations that we had trouble navigating in the past or just didn't even know to think of. Okay, so you can see three different kinds of groups that we have at Grace Bible Church to help you either prepare for marriage or grow your marriage. So we have Merge. It's a Tuesday night class for seriously dating or engaged couples to help you prepare for this big step. We have foundation, home groups for couples who've been married for three years or less. So this is designed, you you are married, you're you're starting to figure out that marriage is hard. This surrounds you with godly people, mentors, who will build a strong foundation in your marriage. And then finally, re-engage, a Tuesday night class designed to help you reconnect, reignite, and improve your marriage. So if you've been married for a while, this is designed to help grow your marriage to the next level. So we'd love to have you participate in one of these groups. You can find out more on our website or emailing deanholsher at grace-bible.org. So all that's available. Final thing that I'll leave you with is what I think is the best book outside of the Bible on marriage. I've read a lot of books on marriage. After a while, they kind of start to sound the same, but not this one. This has been the best book by far on the topic of marriage I or Julie have ever read. It's called A Lasting Promise. And the thing about a lasting promise that's so powerful is that it focuses on communication. Because ultimately you cannot succeed at fulfilling your role as a husband or a wife if you have not learned how to communicate well with your spouse. And so this book helps diagnose what challenges you have in your marriage with communication. It gives you very practical, biblical advice for how to communicate better. It really will help your marriage. I cannot recommend this book too highly. So grab a copy of that. Great book to read over Christmas break. Finally, let us, let me pray, because ultimately with all of this, we need God's help to live out these marriages He's called us to have. Heavenly Father, we come before You. We thank You that you, Lord Jesus, died in our place, rose from the dead, offer us eternal life, and you did it all for us as the ultimate example of selflessness. We did not deserve that. We still do not deserve that. We'll never deserve that, Lord Jesus. Out of love, you gave yourself for us. We praise you for that. And Lord, whether we're married or not, male or female, young or old, all of us in this room, are called to submit ourselves to one another, to sacrifice our rights, desires, comforts, and ambitions to serve others. And we need your help for that, Heavenly Father. We, we need your spirit to work in us. We need your son to teach us and to lead us to follow his example. We pray that you would break us of selfishness and pride and laziness and that you would challenge us to serve others selflessly and sacrificially. For all those who are married in this room, Lord, for the wives, we pray that you would reframe this, this whole submission debate and help them to see it accurately. Help them, Lord, to be able to walk in this role that you've crafted for them and to be able to celebrate it. I do pray for, for any women here who are struggling to submit to their husband. Maybe their husband hasn't been doing a great job as the head of their home, I pray that you would comfort these women and that you would bless them, that you would help them to be patient, and that you would help them to find something good in their husband to encourage and celebrate. I pray for all the husbands in the room, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would convict us and challenge us of where we are being lazy and selfish and and passive. And I, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to sacrificially engage at home. I pray that we would be the first to die every day to our rights and desires, our comforts and ambitions, to help our wives and our kids thrive. I pray, Lord, that the marriages here at Grace Bible Church would be a reflection of the greatness and glory of Jesus Christ. I pray that they would be a blessing to the community. I pray that when the community looks at our marriages, that they would be drawn closer to Jesus and his selfless love. Thank you so much for your great love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.